Thank you, team. What a great job this morning. Thank you. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris now to come and give us the word. Great stuff. Isn't it good when things change without you knowing? Who's that new guy on keys this morning? (laughs) Nobody tells me anything. Now, I might uh, dissemble with you just for a while as uh, I've realised I've committed the cardinal sin of uh, um, electronic devices and forgotten to charge it. Um, And so my notes are hidden until there's a... Surge of current. Uh, but these things are, are rescuable. Had a good week, everybody? Yeah, good to see. Who knows what series we're, we're actually preaching on at the moment? <laughs> There's all this cheating that goes on these days. It's, it's one of those days where, where th- not everything seems to go the way... You plan it. For some reason, uh, I've been looking at my notes this morning and it's one of those things where 14 point font is usually enough for me to be able to see from this distance. But this morning, for some reason, my eyes have decided that it needs 16 and I haven't changed it yet. So if some things don't come out the way you think they should... It's because I can't get the pulpit far enough away to be actually able to read it. But we're talking, we, we talked for the last couple of months about the, the uh, a month or so, about the church and the community within the church. And we're looking out now as to how, as a church, we impact a greater community and uh, what implications this has for us. And I just want to read you a, a scripture from 1 Peter. Um, just as an aside, who do you think actually wrote 1 Peter? Any any advance on Paul? <laughs> Mary. <laughs> There's only one after that, come on. <laughs> Funnily enough, it was actually Peter. It wasn't a trick question. Um, it's funny, you've heard, you've heard that joke about the, the, the person who came into a, a children's church and uh, sort of was asking them questions and it was a very uh, a fundamentalist church and, and very, very strict and uh, they held up a, a card and it had a picture of an elephant on it. And they said, what animal is this? And the, the kids all stood, sat there and froze and didn't answer and, and said, come on, what animal is this? Surely, surely you know. And the silence, and she's looking at the teacher perplexed, and a little girl at the back raises her hand and says, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it looks like an elephant to me. <laughs> And so we've got to be careful we, we don't get caught up in, in ideas that um, are perhaps not, not current. Um, so the fact that Paul didn't write it, and neither did Mary, uh, brings us to the obvious conclusion that this is Peter. And uh, he's writing, and we, we, well, let's find out who he's writing to. It says in verse 1, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So this sounds like a a happy bunch of people, uh, but 
Oddly enough, he says, living as foreigners in these Roman provinces. Um, and the interesting thing is that most of them were Romans who had actually been born in those provinces. So an interesting use of the word foreigners. But it, they sound pretty happy. But this letter was written about 63, somewhere between 63 65 AD. And the Roman emperor at the time, does anybody know who the Roman emperor at the time was? Perhaps if I give you a hint. Nero. Why, why did that give it away? Because he was supposed to have actually played the violin while Rome burned, but that's possibly not true. But his name was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. He liked his own name. And he actually, Nero has become one of the infamous men that who ever lived. During his rule, he murdered his mother, his first and his second wives. And in addition, because he, he wasn't all bad, he was really enthusiastic about rebuilding Rome. Now, the trouble is that Rome was actually already built. And so the idea of rebuilding means that he had to tear down stuff and rebuild it. And the Senate said, no, we don't like this idea. And so he hatched a plan. He thought, well, if I burn it down, they have no choice but to let me rebuild it. So he, he basically, the people are fairly certain, he organized the burning down of the center of Rome. Burnt for six days when they put it out. Then it sprung up again, burnt for another three days. And so he got to build all the buildings that he wanted to build. But, of course, people were a bit suspicious about um, this fire. And so to deflect blame, he, he, he blamed a small group of religious people called Christ Ones, who we now know as Christians. And so he set in, in motion across the Roman Empire a series of persecutions for these horrible people who had set Rome alight, according to Nero. And so he devised lots of uh, great endings for Christians. Uh, one of his favourite ones was to wrap them in the skins of animals that had freshly been killed and set them in the arena and let a pack of wild dogs loose on them to tear them to, to shreds because they were sent mad by the smell of blood from the skins. So that was, he, he, that was a nice way to go. Um, otherwise, he just simply crucified them, um, which was a bit simpler. Uh, but his favourite one was to actually use them as human candles uh, for his parties at night. He would dip them in uh, tallow uh, so that they were like a candle and then just light them and leave them lit for the rest of the night as human candles. So you can see being a Christian actually doesn't sound as much fun anymore, does it? And so he's writing to this group of people in the Roman Empire who, who could end up being tortured the very next day. And so, just to set the groundwork for what he's saying, let, let me read it again. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. You sort of wonder, well, I wish he hadn't. And his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you've obeyed him. Again, they're thinking, I wish we hadn't. And have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. You're sort of thinking, really? More and more? You mean they already have it? So it's interesting that in writing to these people, Peter has a message he wants to get across. And the message is actually about the church community and the community outside of the church. And so the first thing that Peter does is he reminds them who they are. The first thing is that he says that you're foreigners. Now, 
as I said earlier, most of them were born there. They hadn't moved there. They were, they were, some of them were Jews that had been moved out from Jerusalem, Judea, and they'd gone to the ends of the earth, but most of them were Roman citizens. So why does he tell them they're foreigners? It's because he's trying to get across that they are citizens of the kingdom of God. They are foreigners in those places because their first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. They are more like ambassadors, if you like. So he was reminding them that they were citizens of heaven first and foremost. The second thing he did was let them know that although things were looking bad, they weren't there by chance. He actually manages to get in in one verse, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to show them that the Father knew them, the Holy Spirit had sanctified them, and that Jesus had cleansed them by his death on the cross. So they weren't there at random. They were a chosen people in a specific place for a specific purpose. And then he goes on to say something really incredible. He says, I pray that you have more and more grace. He didn't say that I pray that perhaps grace comes into your life. He says, I just pray that you have more and more. The implication being they've already got plenty of, pa- of pace and grace, pre- uh, grace and peace <laughs> in their lives already. But you're looking at their situation thinking, where the heck is this grace and peace coming from? Because he's just praying for more and more of it. And so he's building them a picture or or rebuilding them a picture of the fact that they might be going through hard stuff, but remember who you are. Remember what your purpose is. Remember what God has brought into your life. So he's he's reinforcing the fact that they are a, a church that is a community separate from the world community but that this community is actually an embassy to the world, hand-picked, holy, and cleansed, and they're on a mission from God. They don't have the hats. So given the, the, the persecution that these Christians that Peter's addressing are going through, you might get the impression that this, this embassy is a bit like the beachhead at Normandy in World War II, that they've got a foothold and they're fighting to maintain it, and they're trying to expand their foothold by fighting the community that surrounds them because the community that surrounds them is pretty hostile. And so you might get the, the feeling this is a bit of a grim task that is set before them and, and they're, 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 they're settling in for a long battle and it's going to be really hard and uh, solemn and tearful and gritty and nasty. And so he goes on to actually say something about that. In, in verse 6, he says... So truly be glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, even though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Who is this Peter guy? What, who does he think he's writing? And it's, it's interesting, don't forget, Peter didn't write this letter and then photocopy it and send it to all those churches. He only wrote the one letter, and so it got sent to one church, passed on to the next church, passed on to the next church, and some of them may have made copies as it went along. But can you? it would have been pretty dangerous to actually even have that letter on you. If you were discovered with it, things would not have gone well. And so here he's talking about being very glad, being very excited about what's going on. And it's, he even says that all these trials you're having, they're, they're for your own personal development. You know, embrace them. 
get used to it. And, and the fact that it's actually pleasing to God that we go through these trials with faith. And it, and it talks about it in, in the same concept that we see in, in the Gospels, in uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, that the parable of the sower appears in all of those. And who knows that it talks about uh, sowing seed and some seed falls on rocky ground and is snapped up instantly. Some falls on shallow, shallow soil, grows a bit and then dies. Um, some grows among weeds and is choked. Uh, some grows in fertile ground and produces a harvest. And this is the sort of faith he's talking about here. He's saying, this is testing your faith. We're going to find out whether your faith has fallen on rocky ground and is going to vanish just because some Roman shakes a spear at you. We're going to find out whether you can, you can endure a little bit of persecution and then think, ah, to heck with it, I'm going back to wherever I can. Well, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you came from, you're just going. Or whether you're prepared to actually stick it out, but you're persuaded by the arguments of the world or you fall into the lusts of the world and lose your faith. Or whether you can stick with it. He's saying be glad about that. What a crazy boy. So Peter continues in his letter and we begin to see some verses coming up that he addresses issues within the community of believers and issues outside, almost in the same breath and almost contradictory. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. So here he goes again. He's reminding them that they're temporary residents, foreigners in this place. He says, Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Stay away from those horrible sinners. We, I saw some at the door this morning. They actually said they wanted to come out for prayer, so perhaps later. Um, so we've, we've got a, a dire warning that because we're here as an embassy from God, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to make sure that we are not contaminated by the, the lusts and, and the desires of this world. So that sounds, you know, we've got to put the walls up and make sure we're safe. And then he says, be careful to live properly among, among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honourable behaviour and they'll give honour to God when he judges the world. So in the next breath he's saying, you've got to live amongst these people. Not only do you have to live amongst them, you've got to live in such a way that they're going to think, wow, these guys are different. These guys are honest. These guys are, are faithful. These guys stick to their guns. I want to be like them. Except for the part where they're made into human torches, of course. So... There's, there's these two things warring. There's this first a warning about worldly desires and then an encouragement to interact with our neighbours so that they can see our behaviour and a warning that that behaviour better be honourable. So we can see that there's, there's two things. We've got a community of believers and a community of unbelievers outside of the church, but these two communities need to interact and the interesting thing about it is that the interaction does not depend on the attitude of the community outside the church. He goes on, and it, and it gets better or worse, depending on your attitude. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honour those who do right. So here we're being told, you know, you're living in Rome, obey the Roman laws, obey the king, 
Do what you're told, live with honour. And then he goes on and he says, it's God will, God's will that your honourable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, and yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. So we're told to submit to human authority, and then we're told in the next breath that we're answerable to a much higher authority that is above human authority, but we can't use that as an excuse to do bad things. So we've actually got to obey human... I mean, the question you ask yourself, I guess, is how far do you go obeying human authority? And he's saying here you go as far as you have to go before it becomes direct disobedience to God. You don't make that decision. God does. And he said you obey human authority. So we've actually got to be part of this world that we're an embassy into. We can't sit back and put the walls up and say, we're the church, you're not. Nah, nah. Go away. Don't bother us. We've actually got to be integrated into the society we're reaching and obey their laws. And it says to actually honour the officials put in place. I mean, are we good at that in Australia? <laughs> I mean, even the mere thought sets people's ed teeth on edge, doesn't it? That we should actually honour politicians? It's like, ugh. But we should. That's what God has called us to do. And so, in chapter 3, Peter also says this. In verse 8, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with, it, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. That's, what, that's how we are recognized. That we recognize because of the love we show one another. We're called to be of one mind. We're called to be tender-hearted. We're called to be humble. And then he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God's called you to do, and he will grant his blessing. And you sort of think, well, perhaps that's inside the church. It doesn't apply to outside people. Well, if that's happening inside the church, I'd be a bit worried. You shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any evil to repay evil with. So I'm pretty sure that Peter here is talking about the fact that People who are unbelievers are bound to do things which you would consider evil. They're bound to insult you. They're bound to denigrate your beliefs. And he says, well, this is how we should react. We should tell them to rack off, keep their mouths shut, and we should beat them with those books we call Bibles because they're, they're horrible sinners and they deserve it. No, he doesn't say that. He says, don't retaliate with insults. Pay them back with a blessing. Ooh, it's tough. Pay them back with a blessing. These are people you might not like. These are people who don't think the way you think and are, are going to loudly proclaim it. And, it. and what does God say? Don't argue with them. Don't insult them back. Give them a blessing. You thought this Christianity stuff was easy, didn't you? He says, that's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Interesting. So firstly, we see a recipe of how we should treat each other within the church. And then we see how we should treat people outside 
of the church. So what's the message here? Peter is writing to a people who are persecuted and hurting. The communities they're trying to reach with the gospel have become extremely hostile. And he's encouraging them to persevere, but he recognizes they're facing an uphill battle. So he reminds them of the mission they've been given to engage their community. They're to be people who have behavior that is above reproach. They're to respect the laws and rulers of the country that they're in. They're to treat people with blessing in the face of insult. That all seems pretty hard. But then he gives them the secret of how that can be done. Because it's not a question of what we do for people. It's not a question of our actions per se. It's where those actions come from. When you act out of a place of certainty about who you are, things are different. If you're not trying to be good, if you're not trying to be holy, if you're not trying to be cleansed, because you don't have to be, your attitude's different. And he, t he tells them, you can go out into the world, but if you don't want to get lost in the world, if you don't want to get dissolved and just become part of the world, so there's no point of difference, there's no... There's no embassy as such. You've just lost yourself. You've become part of the world in the river of what the world is. You're indistinguishable. Then you've done no good. doesn't matter how good you want to be. doesn't matter how much of a blessing you want to give. You can't unless you know who you are. And he says, this is who you are. You are people of faith. You are called by God. You are made holy by the Holy Spirit. You have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You are ambassadors to a hurting world. You are full of peace and grace. You are free of worldly desires. You are of one mind. You are tender-hearted, loving towards one another, and humble people. They know who they are. We need to know who we are before we can go out and change the world. We are, exactly as Peter is telling these people, we are people of faith, and your faith will be tested. We are called by God, and you have to know that you're called by God. God has a call on every person's life. We are holy. Sometimes you look around and say, well, I, I don't think any of these people here are holy. They don't look holy to me. If that's what you think, don't worry, they don't look holy to me either. Least of all me. But the thing is that we have been called holy by the Holy Spirit. He sent his spirit to make us holy. He died on the cross to make us clean so that we could embrace holiness. That is who we are. It's not what we do. It's who we are. God has already done this in our lives. We don't have to strive for it. There's nothing we need to, no test we need to pass to have this. It's been given to us. We are full of peace and grace in a world that doesn't have much of it. Because our peace and grace doesn't come from the world. It isn't reflected by the world. It comes from our relationship with God. Know who we are. Know where our strength comes from. We're of one mind. That's a tricky one. There are some things we do need to work at. We need to be Enough of one mind so that even though people think differently, feel differently and do things differently, we'd never lose sight of our purpose. 
Being of one mind doesn't mean that we're a hive mind and we all think the same. We're not the Borg like in um, Star Trek, that we're, we're just clones of everybody. We all, I know we're all different, but it doesn't mean we can't have one mind, one purpose. Jesus gave us that at the end of Matthew. So when we know who we are, we have to make sure that we're knowing that, not so that we can say that we're superior or greater or better than people in the world, but so that we actually just have the strength to be in the world but not of the world because that's what we're called to be. And our faith will be tested. These days I'm pretty sure that using humans as candles has been outlawed. And crucifixion is, is not part of our, our justice system at the moment, which is really good. And uh, luckily uh, there aren't too many packs of wild dogs, so we're fairly safe. Most people have never skinned an animal in their life so that they're unlikely to go near anything like that. But we are still under persecution. We still have our faith tested, and I don't believe that's ever going to stop because it's only in the testing of our faith that it'll grow stronger. We need to know who we are in Christ before we can effectively minister to the world. Can I get you to stand, please? I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know who you are? It's a bit like a question that Vicky asked uh, Nathan. And do you know where you live? He said, well, most of the time. <laughs> and I think the same is true of us. If I ask you, do you know who you are? You, most of you probably are, well, most of the time. Pretty sure who I am. But we actually need to take stock. We need to stand up on the inside and declare who we are. And we are no more, no less, but exactly who God tells us we are. Some of us are too afraid to actually ask God in case we don't like the answer. But I encourage you this morning, let's, let's be a bit courageous. Let's, let's just step out and let God minister to us. Let him speak into your heart, into your spirit this morning. Acknowledge who you are. Can I get everybody, close your eyes, raise your hands to heaven. Lord, I thank you that we are your chosen people, that you knew us before we were born. You had a plan and a purpose for us before we even knew it. And I give you thanks right now that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, foreigners and temporary residents of this earth. But Lord, you have made us holy. You have made us clean. You have given us your Holy Spirit to take with us into this world. And I pray that you give us more peace 
more grace as we go out and spread the good news of your gospel to bring people into relationship with you. Because we come out of a place of knowing that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Cleansed, holy, powerful yet humble. We pledge that as we go out into the world that we are not going to forget who we are. pray this in the name of your son Jesus over every single person here. Thank you Lord. Amen. Just stand there for a moment longer if you will. You can put your hands down. But if you're here this morning and you haven't actually made that commitment to be a citizen of heaven, a child of God, then I'm here to tell you that Membership of the kingdom of God is by invitation only. The thing is that God doesn't, God has already invited you into that kingdom. You have to accept that invitation. It's a bit like going to the letterbox and seeing there's an invitation for a party and putting it on the mantelpiece and looking at it and thinking, it's a nice invitation. But if you don't open it, and you don't respond to it, it doesn't mean anything. And so what we've got to do with God's invitation is to actually answer it. Say, okay, I accept that invitation, Lord. I want to be a child of God. I want to be a member of your kingdom. I want to be an ambassador on this earth. And to do that just requires a statement of faith. To say, Lord, I'm here. I want to follow you. I want to be a child of God. We pray a short prayer that if we're truthful about God takes to heart and then begins our journey, our walk with him. And I'd love to pray a prayer like that with you this morning. If you would like, for the first time, or possibly you, you've prayed a prayer before, but you realize you, you aren't walking your life in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to offer you an opportunity to start or restart that walk. So can I ask everybody just to bow their heads and close their eyes? And while no one's looking around, if that's you, you want to pray a prayer accepting Jesus into your heart this morning. While every eye is closed, every head bowed, can you just raise your hand higher so that I can see it? Thank you, I see that hand. I'd love to pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anyone else here this morning who wants to pray that prayer, to start on that journey with Jesus? Okay, can I get you to open your eyes, face forward, and I want us all to pray together because it's great to remind ourselves of our relationship with God. So can you pray after me? Dear Lord, from this moment, my life is changed. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and as my Saviour. From this moment on, I am a child of God. Protect me, encourage me, grow me. Thank you, Lord, for making me one of your precious children. 
In Jesus' name, amen.